turn my mic on. That's important. All right. Well, we're continuing in on that series about lies we believe, lies we tell ourselves. Today we are focusing in on that lie, I'm worthless. I know some of you, you you don't have to raise your hand. I know some of you in the believe in this room right now are saying, telling yourself you're worthless. You may not put it in those words, but I'm no good, I'm just a sinner, I can't do anything, you know, we feel like we just, nothing we do is right, good enough, worthy of any kind of praise, of any kind of worth, and it's okay. That's a lie. But we have to be honest with ourselves. That's what we're feeling. It's, we, we feel worthless sometimes, and many people struggle with this, and, it's, it's, and we struggle with it. I've, I've been praying a lot about why we struggle with this lie. You ever ask yourself, why do you feel worthless? Maybe someone told it to you, and you started believing it. Over the years, you hear it enough, it will come true. But I think for the majority of people, when they start believing they're worthless, it's because their identity has been wrapped up in something and saying, my identity determines my worth and my identity is wrapped up in the wrong things. Instead of my identity, we've lost our true identity. Whether someone has told you enough and you've lost who you really are, or you've, well, had life change. Oh, let's, let's, let's use, for an example, work. How many of you guys went through this? Or some of you are still going through it. You used to, whether it be your profession or what you used to do at church, or you used to could, and then you couldn't anymore, or you're not anymore, or you're... Many people, especially men, I've noticed this especially for men, the identity gets wrapped up in what they do. They say, well, what I do is what I am. Hi, I'm John. I'm a mechanic. That's the first thing out of your mouth. Hey, I'm Susie. I'm a teacher. Or I'm the Sunday school teacher here. Or I'm the... And we get caught up in that. That becomes the whole of who we are. And so when job... Loss happens, retirement, sickness, injury, whatever. We lose that sense of purpose, identity, and we feel worthless. And when I'm not saying that being a mechanic or being a teacher isn't an important part of who you are, but it, when it's our identity, how fast does that get taken away? 
And we begin to feel worse. Or we wrap ourselves up in our identity. Well, my identity is found in my family. So when family leaves us, we feel worthless. How many of you mothers went through that when your kids went away? Well, for good things, most of them. I've heard some of your stories, so not all of them, but most of them went away for good things, like college, and then you went through that thing, well, I'm no longer a, what do I do with my life? No one there to take care of anymore? Well, maybe that husband you married, but, um, you know, where death happens, and, 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 or you're no longer able to have kids. Or maybe you never were and you thought that was all of your identity was wrapped up in the idea that you were going to have children. You say, well, I've failed in my identity because something out of my control happened. Or here's an unpopular one, when sex becomes our identity. I'm not just talking about whether you're having sex or not. I'm talking about your sexual nature, your sexual identity. I had a student once uh, when I was teaching at a middle school, and I, uh, as she came in the room, I said, "How are you today?" And her response was, "Well, I'm 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 a lesbian." Okay, that's not exactly what I asked, is it? But her identity was wrapped up in her sexual orientation. So that's all she saw. That's all she saw was her sexual identity. And I'm seeing this a lot in people that our sexual identities are getting wrapped up in our whole identities are getting wrapped up in whether you're straight, gay, bi, cis, whatever this is, and it's becoming the whole of who you are. And the problem with these becoming your whole identity is that can't be all you are is about a moment of sex or who you're sexually attracted to. And what happens when these urges leave you? Or you get too old, and, or you have a problem. Things like erectile dysfunction. No one wants to talk about that, but it's very real. And actually on the rise, many researchers blame pornography. When you can't perform, you aren't meeting social norms, your gender, your label, whatever, when we say, well, I don't feel like a man or I don't feel like a woman, if our whole identity is in our orientation, then we have to change that. So we start labeling ourselves different. But our identities can be misplaced in other ways, too. We can misidentify ourselves in things like self. Mm. We can say our whole identity is based on whether I feel good or I feel bad. Today I feel bad, therefore I must be horrible. 
You have a low self-esteem. I don't even really care for the term. I've decided, and it's taken me a lot of prayer for this. I don't like even really care for the term self-esteem because it puts my whole identity in how I feel about myself. I am feel good about myself, then I have a high self-esteem. If I feel bad about myself, I have a low self-esteem. And my identity is wrapped up in whether I feel good about myself or bad about myself. I'm not saying some of these things aren't important. I'm just saying when they become our identity, and when you're basing your identity on self, you're going to have to compare it to what? I have a high self-esteem of what? Myself compared to what? To others. So it becomes a trap that you're comparing yourself to how other people are doing around you. And so you're basing your opinion of yourself based because you feel bad about yourself because someone else has something that you don't. Or, ooh, see this trap all of a sudden developing? How many of you guys have been there? Don't raise your hand. It'll lead you nowhere fast. And for Christians, we, we feel like my identity should be solely wrapped up in Christ. But when our, we say, well, if I feel inferior, uh, I'm not reading my Bible as much, we start getting into these legalistic trap and we're like, I'm not reading my Bible enough, I'm not, I'm not going to church enough, I'm not spending enough time at church, I'm not... I'm not and we, we start wondering, is there something wrong with me? Maybe there's something wrong with God. Because I still feel worthless. And we're here at church, so I'm talking to Christians when I talk about the next sections. So if you don't fit into that, that means you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. What I'm saying may or may not apply to you. Um, if, you're feel, if you're a Christian and you're feeling worthless, and I'd love to sit down with you during the next weeks and counsel with you, or you can contact the church and have that appointment. Um, if you're not a Christian, I'd still love to sit down and talk with you. But, um, but when our, as ourselves, our identity as Christians, we know that Christ is the number one thing we're supposed to put on as our identity. But yet we can still feel worthless. And so we start feeling things like, well, is God broken? Or am I broken? Because we come twisted. We come have a twisted view of God. And it distorts our view of ourselves. Because we lose sight of what God is. The loving creator. We turn it into something like a cop. Who's going to keep you on track. Or a slave driver. Or a, the banker who steals all your money. Or the... But we twist God into other things. And we get him twisted up. And, and we, there, yeah, I, I said there are three major things that we can say, uh, my, my twisted view comes from uh, childhood influences. Often it's in 
the important people in our lives. Um, they may have told you words or actions that you didn't matter. Um, and this happens in our society. We, we say, well, my dad never told me I was worthless. He was just never there. Well, that very action of never being there told you you weren't worth it. Oh, he was there. He was always at work, but he was there. Well, then you were playing second fiddle to his job. Or maybe your mom was emotionally unavailable and she wasn't there emotionally. And that told you, hey, you're not worth my attention. Whether And it had nothing to do with you is because she had issues of her own and she was trying to learn and grow up all her own. And, but still, you felt like you weren't worth her attention and her emotions. Or maybe that relative that always came over and told you, what's up, fatty? Poke fun at you. Perhaps you wear glasses, had red hair, you know, super skinny, chunky, you know. Um, people who ought to build you up sometimes bring us down. And when that happens, we begin to build, the, live those lies, and, and we begin to believe, to say, I'm worthless. Sometimes even physically you get called worthless by your family. I know some of you are like, some of you are like, I've never experienced that. And I'm glad you haven't. And you're like, I don't understand that. And I'm glad you don't. But some of you are in this room very much, you know, the pain of a parent or a, someone who's important in your life calling you worthless. When you were a child. And then someone like, your dad, who's supposed to be the one. See, in the, the Bible, there's a father figure that's supposed to be the one who shows us the introduction of what God is like. We look at our fathers and we say, God is like this. He's my protector. He's, even Jesus calls him father. And we're supposed to be able to relate to our fathers. We're going on a fourth generation of absent fathers. And even the secular world will admit that the lack of fathers in the household is destroying our nation. But these are the people that are supposed to tell us what God is. And, and if a father, even worse, an abusive father, well, then you're going to be learning that God is abusive because you see what father is through that. Or an absent father. And you believe that God is just absent from your life. And... So you think God sees you as worthless because the parental figure makes you feel that way. See, if we know that God views us as valuable, we can't feel ourselves as worthless. But when we twist our view of God, because he's the one that's coming from, 
But it's not just our childhood. It's, it's things like reoccurring hurts. It's broken marriages. It's teenage sons and daughters who refuse to take on Christian values. It's the pain of gossip. It's the traumatic events like bankruptcy or death of a loved one or even robbery or rape. These things make you feel like less than human. I read a a quote uh, from a woman who was... um, was raped, and she says, every time I see a guy who looks like the creep who held a gun to my head, I think, why did he pick me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? Am I not as good as someone else? But it's not just childhood. It's also our own. We, sometimes we have ourselves to blame why we're, we feel like we're worthless. It's bad choices on our own decisions, right? Sometimes it's our own, you know, people-pleasing, drug use, promiscuity. We can feel worthless because we turn away from the way God sees us and start turning them into a way we want people to see. So let's, let's talk about how we can start feeling free of the worthless trap, right? How can we start feeling free from this? Um, <laughs> you know, one thing I noticed here, living here, is because of our water here. Our water is really hard here. We get that mold that grows in our showers really easy. How many of you guys have that problem? It really grows really easy here. Um, often it's orangish in this, in this area. It's because the water here sucks. Some of you guys have water treatments that, before it goes into your house, so you don't deal with that. Um, but if we just lie back and, 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 and let things happen to us, mold will start growing in our showers, in our minds. I grew from a place, when I lived in Kentucky, we had a place, uh, you know, the whole town was covered in mold. That's just the way it was. Everything was covered in mold. It was always water. Um, I moved from Gallup, New Mexico, where it had rain sometimes, to a place where we always had rain. And it was like, what in the world is all of this? And mold always grew. <laughs> and if you just let it go, it's going to... It's going to, if we don't take captive those thoughts, it's going to grow like a, a mold taking over your whole shower, your whole house. But every believer is a precious son or daughter of the Most High God, and your worth is not rooted in how we feel about ourselves. Our worth must be rooted in how God sees us. Because we lie to ourselves all the time. So we must look for his truth. Remember, that's one thing I've been focusing on. It's not about how my truth feels, because I lie to myself all the time. It's what is his truth. So let's look at his truth. 1 Peter 2.4 As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus, rejected by men, 
More important, he was chosen by God. When God sent his Jesus Christ to earth to pay the price for our sins, your sin, my son, our sins held him on the cross. He declared by staying there, which he didn't have to do, by staying there, the Bible tells us that he could have called down his, his, his heavenly army, his heavenly host. Um, we're going to talk about angels on Tuesday nights next, next week and the week after, so if you're interested in that, plug. Um, but he could have called down his heavenly host. That's what the Bible tells us. But he declared us that he is, that because we are so precious in his sight, we are so, that he said, you're worthy of this. Worthy of my sacrifice. So if we continue believing the lie that that we're worthless, then God has, but God has said, you are of such great worth that I'm going to send and become flesh and die for you. And here's something even better. Christ gave up his life in order to give us life so that he could live out his life through us. You're worthy. Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all men gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, and in hardship, and persecution, difficulties. For when I am weak, he is strong. Paul, he's talking about those weaknesses that he has. Now, he's not talking necessarily about sin in his life. We, sometimes we want to put this as a sin thing. But sin doesn't bring glory to God. That's our own defiance of God. But he's saying that when I'm weak, it brings power to God because he is strong. And I may feel unworthy of God's love. And you may feel unworthy because you've committed sin. How many of you guys are sinners? Amen? Right? If anyone didn't say amen, it's because you're lying to yourself. (laughs) We're sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God gave his life for people and sacrificed them because they are worthy of that And gave them strength when they feel weak. Because in our weakness, when we feel I'm not worthy, he's strong. He knows you are worthy. Mm. As I was studying this, I thought, well, we need some actionable steps. So I, I, I went to some counseling websites you can go to the notes in, on the app and, and see uh, a couple of those. 
And I thought, you know, I, and so I, I exalted people that have degrees in this. And I thought, let's go some actual things. And then I looked in the scriptures and I found uh, some, some advice that he gives us. So the first thing I want to say, we need some action stuff. So I came up with three things between all my research that really kind of everything boiled down to. Three things that everything kind of boiled down to. One, we need to recognize that God wants to bless us. We belong to him. It's not the other way around that God, it's my God. Though sometimes that's the word we took, right? That's my God. I've begun realizing how much the Bible doesn't have a lot of me talking about myself because it's my God. When God's like, no, I'm God, you belong to me. You belong to me. And as my child, which is so amazing, you're my child that puts us on the hierarchy tier, that puts us right underneath him on the hierarchy tier because we're his children. He says, you're my God. Because of that, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. That gives us responsibility to be a blessing to him, but he says, I want to bless you. You belong to me. I want you to experience a life to its fullest. That's what John 10, 10, right? It's not, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have, it doesn't, what doesn't it say there? It says, I've come that you may get into heaven one day and, and sit on a cloud with a harp. That's not what it says. It says, I've come that you may have life. And the idea is life now to its fullest and forever. You belong to me. I've come to give you life now. And if we're feeling worthless about ourselves, we're denying that God actually wants us to have a life. Well, I'm not worthy of that. Well, he says you are. He says you're my child. So we have to recognize that God wants to bless us. How many of you guys are like this? Someone tries to give you a blessing, right? Maybe it'd be money or the food or the, the car ride home. or the. And I, I'm first to admit that I struggle with this. And, and, and you're like, no, nah, I don't. I'm good. No matter whether you're good or not, I'm good. And someone's like, and, and you're like, but this is my blessing. I want to give it to you. And you're like, no, I don't need that. That hurts my pride. And God's saying, I want to bless you. And we're doing the same thing to him. No, I'm good, God. I'm in heaven line. I don't need anything else from you. I'm not worth you spending any extra time on me. That's what we're telling him. And he's like, no, you're worth it. You're my child. I want to bless you. Now that doesn't go to get caught up in the health, wealth, and lie. That's another, we'll take, that's another extreme that doesn't work, right? God never says you're never going to get sick or you're never going to have the cold. And if you know you're lacking faith, that's not what that means. 
you don't have money, you don't have enough faith. He says, there's always going to be poor among you. But he says, I want to bless you. You're mine. It's not about him being ours, it's about you being his. Number two, determine to want what God wants. This is a little bit harder, right? This is a bit harder. I want to want what God wants. Why is that a little harder? Because often we want what we want. And what does he want? You know, we always like, God, I have no idea what you want. And we're expecting like one of those women's magazines to come out and they'll give you like 10 things God wants, you know. Yeah. Um, that's not how it works, is it? God's actually made it pretty simple. He wants, uh, he wants us to want a loving relationship with him. That's... Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and build up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's, that's a life fully in relationship with him, letting go of lesser pleasures, pleasures that entice us. The greatest pleasure, he says, is Spend your life enjoying time with me. Or as it says in another passage, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness will be added upon you. And it's a harder thing because we have to say, well, you know what? This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm worrying. This is what I, and we're saying, I'm feeling worthless. I don't need, and we're saying, God wants to bless you. You're his, and we need to decide to be determined. Not just, eh, I kind of want what God wants. Determined. I want to be in a relationship with God. That's my highest goal. To be rooted in him, built up, strengthened in faith, overflowing with thankfulness. It's amazing what a thankful mind will do for you when you feel, over, when you feel worthless. And we're, right now we're thinking about Thanksgiving, right? It's a good time to have these thoughts of thankfulness. Even I was reading a secular um, He's not a Christian, and he's actually quite an atheist, but he's a counselor, and he was talking about how wonderful it is for people to write out the things they're thankful for. Even people that have no idea what, who God is recognize how good it, what it does for us to be thankful. And as Christians, we know we have a true reason to be thankful. <laughs> So not only are we determining to what God wants, not only are we recognizing that God, we have to embrace the truth that God can use even the pain of trial. Now, don't go the direction that I hear some people make a mistake that God wanted this to happen to you because you're, He wants you to be grow or 
God, or uh, I read, uh, uh, God allowed you to be sexually molested. I read this, actually someone, um, someone trying to help a, a person who was sexually molested, and they said, God allowed it to happen and wanted it to happen so that they would have more faith. That is not at all what this means. That is a lie trying to excuse sin. So don't hear that. But what we can embrace is the truth that those pain, that pain, including feeling worthless, we can just be honest with ourselves and say, it happens. God can use this. And see, what God can say, oh, I don't want to go through this. And you say, oh, of course you don't. And he's not saying stay there so God will be stronger. No, it depends, it deepens our desire and our hope for him. And it, as we go through suffering, because the Bible tells us we're going to have sufferings. Because we're in a fallen, broken world. It can deeper our relationship for him. Not that he's causing it, not that he's saying this is what I want for you, but this is saying what I'm going to do. Is even the works of evil, God's going to use for good. Look at the story of Joseph, right? In the book of Genesis, where he's thrown into slavery, and they were like, we wanted you out of here because you're hoity-toity, and you're throwing your... Yes, he was... It wasn't like he was some saint. He was, he was saying, yeah, I have this dream that you guys are going to bow down to me. And it may have been true, but that doesn't mean he had to tell them. <laughs> um, you know, he had this coat of many colors. That doesn't mean he doesn't, you know, he gets to wear it every day and not do any real work, which is what he was doing. Um, so he wanted evil. But God says, you know what, when you come to the point where you're going to recognize me and, and, and become, then I'm going to use it for good and get you where you need to be. And so it can recognize that. And First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all of this, greatly rejoice, though now... For a little while, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds. Now, in 1 Peter, he's specifically talking about persecution of trials. These have come to proving genuine of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refiner's fire. May the result of praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials of all kinds. It happens. And we say, well, I need these trials. And we start saying, they almost seem too much, but we can rejoice in them. Because what we're doing when we rejoice in trials, or we're not saying I want to stay there, what we're saying is I'm turning to God in them. I'm turning to God in them. And that's often where we get messed up, Right? We start going through trials and we turn away from God. And he says, no, in our trials we're going to rejoice in them because that turns us back towards him. And as we turn towards him, whether it's something we've done, someone else has done, it brings us back to the place where we're saying, I'm focused on you. And then we can believe the truth 
God says, you are worth it. You are not worthless. You are worth it. And as I think about this, I think, isn't it wonderful to know that we belong to God? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know we can enjoy Him? And though, even though we may feel like we're no good, He says you are. Even though we may feel like we're, we're, we may have been told we're worthless, He says that's a lie. And we have to say, I'm going to take captive this thought. I'm going to take captive this thought that says I'm worthless. I'm going to believe the truth that God says. I'm worth it. God saw you with enough value to even become flesh and die for you. How much more worth it are you? I wasn't worth the pain. Yes, you were. He thought so. Not only does he think you're worthy of that sin, he says, I even know, he says, I even numbered the hairs on your head. I love that. That's even more than saying how many there are. That's like they're numbered. So if number 1,672 falls out, he knows it's 1,672 that fell out. They're numbered. And if he numbers the hair on your head, some of you have more than, than others, if he's numbered those, how much more important are you than that? That's amazing. Sounds like you're incredibly valuable to him. That he even wants to know how many hairs are on your head, what number they are. Which leads us to our next steps. Our next steps are all about what do we do next. And as we struggle in this broken world, we have to recognize that sometimes we're going to feel less than the truth. We have to recognize that. We have to say, my truth feels like I am broken, I'm worthless, I'm, my identity is wrapped up in something that it shouldn't be. And we have to be saying, well, that's my truth. And so we have to say, my next step is I need to wrap myself up in his truth. And his truth tells me I'm incredibly valuable, no matter how I feel about myself. His truth says I'm incredibly worth it. His truth says that you are special. He told uh, Jeremiah, he said, before you, I was even in, you were even in the womb, I had appointed you. Now, that was specific to him, but that also means he knows you that and before that happens that even means before that you are that valuable to him of course we're not going to get into the whole is God in time argument with that but 
what we're saying is he's valuable. You're valuable to him, and he values you. And if we believe God is truth, we believe that he is worthy, we believe that he is the God of heaven, we have this true vision of God, then we can't say that we're worthless because our worth comes from him. And he's not the abusive father. He's not the absentee husband. He's not the one who left you or beat you. He's the one who said, I love you. And my deepest desire is to be in relationship with you. So our next steps have to be about believing the truth and taking hold of those captive thoughts, saying I'm going to take them captive and believe in his truth. Father God, right now I praise you, Lord. I pray that you would bless us, that you would uh, take captive our thoughts. Lord, we know that you value us, so help us to believe that we are worth it. Lord, not us putting us ourselves too, val- too high, but we know that you have created us and we are not worthless in your sight. Don't let us believe that lie. Let us be wrapped up in you and your truth as we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to go to a time of invitation, which is a time we invite you to, to, to make